0: The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Drawer Gill. Well, here we are. It's another incredible episode of The Video Insiders. How are you doing, Drawer? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you? Excellent. I can see you are rested. You're fresh back from vacation. France, right?
1: Provence. What an amazing place. You know, the food, the wine, the views, the weather, everything was just great.
0: Well, we have an incredible guest. Uh, We are uh, interviewing yet another uh, true video insider. We only interview video insider only video insiders never a video outsider no 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 hey we should try that one time you know uh, let's interview a video outsider yeah somebody
1: who doesn't know anything about video and
0: then we ask him you know you know macro block yeah
1: i use them to build my house
0: sure (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> rate control. Yeah, well, with mortgage rates today, jeez, tell me where I can get one. have to control it; otherwise, it's gonna go up, up the roof. <laughs> no, 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 no. Fuel, fuel prices. Where's the rate control on that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh yeah, you need that one. Oh.
0: Well, uh, in all in all seriousness, um, we are uh, you know, we are talking about are we compressed yet? And our expert that we're interviewing is Ramsey Uh Ramzi, welcome to the video insiders. Gentlemen, I'm so
2: happy to be on the show. I think uh, this is a great um, forum to talk about the uh, one million dollar or probably one billion dollar question, are
0: we compressed yet? are we compressed yet are we compressed enough yet
1: <laughs> I, I borrowed this name from a tool on, on the internet for comparing uh, different codecs and i think it is really appropriate uh, to our guest today with a video compression experts so uh, ramzi why don't you introduce yourself and uh, your background
2: so i am ramzik sip i'm a principal software engineer with the aws elemental been with uh, Elemental for uh, over six years. Prior to Elemental, I was with uh, Cisco Systems, uh, Scientific Atlanta, and uh, I think most of my career I've been in video compression. So, macro blocking is something I I breathe in, breathe out, uh, and you can tell a true video insider is a video insider will watch not the soccer ball not the players you <laughs> watched the grass i watch the, the the artifacts the, the artifacts <laughs> yeah. so that
0: if you pass that test you're a true video insider yes yes our audience can all relate our families hate to watch uh you know video with us just watch the show <laughs>
1: no but you know look at those blockiness and look what happened with all that bending In the
0: dark, my wife finally just gave up trying to stop me from adjusting the TV, tweaking. And then when I get dialed in, she looks at me and says, it's good. And I said, yes, it's good. It looks so much better. And she goes, if you say so. (laughs) Uh, Well, so uh, Ramsey, tell us uh, what you do in your day to day. Uh, You have a a very interesting job. And uh, so what do you do day to day?
2: So I'm part of the Elemental Video Engine team. So we build the core encoding tools, uh, the encoders, transcoders, uh, pixel processors, filters, anything that touches the pixel and transform it from one domain or from uh, one uh, pixel domain to another, to a bitstream or to another pixel. And I spend my day trying to make quality look great with reducing the bandwidth and reducing the cost. Stating it like this, it seems straightforward, but I guess all our audience will relate to how hard this, uh, this task is.
1: Definitely. And uh, this is a basic trade-off, right? Between the quality and the rate, but uh, th- there is another factor in the equation, right? Which is the compute cost. Because you can get great quality at low bit rate with the the new codecs, but you'll have to invest a lot of in, of compute in that.
2: The traditional model of uh, getting 50% increase for 10x compute, I think that model is getting old and uh, it's not sustainable model. I think the industry agrees that this model um, w- will not sustain the uh, the, the hardware reality where we're living in, uh, the costs, especially the um, going green. And we have pledged from uh, different corporates by 2050 that we need to reduce the print of uh, video compression that model I think is getting old I think we we should shift the paradigm of uh, thinking on how to compress video
0: yeah I I completely agree and uh, it's something you know draw and I both uh, on the mic and off the mic uh, spend a lot of time you know working with uh, you know the respective companies we're working with you know this is a great place to start is this whole um Subject of how to reduce compute cost, when the industry and especially those who are working on uh, encoder development and codec optimization, there's always the shiny new object, right? Shiny new object is you know the the next standard that's right around the corner, and it's exactly as you said. It does bring the promise of a 50% often now, you know, to begin, it's never 50%. You know, it's usually 30%. <laughs> but in time, you know, that does bring a tangible benefit. And 10 years ago, certainly 15 years ago, bandwidth costs was very different than it is now. And so that 50% was incredibly meaningful, you know, for for delivery costs, controlling delivery costs. Now, you know, you look at Dan Rayburn's studies and I mean, it's just, it's not free. Yes. It's still a lot of money. It's tens and tens of millions of dollars, but it's tens of millions of dollars based on multiple, multiple billions of revenue. So the question that we're driving at is, what is the right approach? Because there are reasons to adopt these new codec standards. And I don't believe that we're just going to suddenly stop at like AV1, maybe AV2 and VVC, you know, for example. So what about the role of hardware versus software? It seems like All of a sudden, hardware, you know, you have Google with Argos and, you know, and more people are looking at GPU and you have Xilinx out there, you have Netinch, you've got, you you know. So what is your perspective there, you know, as you think about this, about the future? Like, are we heading into a world where video encoding is going to move back to hardware? So I think
2: I will go back to the 50% uh, compression reduction I think it's it's impossible to claim that today any new codec is achieving fifty uh, uh, um, percent. I did the comparison, for instance, for VVC over HEVC, and I think we can all agree. You you, you change the the, you, the objective metrics. You change the uh, clips. Fifty percent. I think it's around thirty percent, and that's a reasonable the compression efficiency. And again, um, the ECM uh, versus VVC, it's uh, the I think the last time I checked it was around fifteen percent. AV two is still uh, in infancy, but it's far from uh, the fifty percent. So the fifty percent milestone, I think, it's a more uh, something we would like to achieve, but realistically, it's around fifteen to thirty percent going forward. I think the industry. Um, or the new codec should focus on getting the same compression efficiency with less compute. The problem with hardware, the cycle of refresh of hardware, the cycle of implementation on hardware is definitely slower. So if you take, for instance, AV1, the promise was by year 2022, we have um, a critical mass of uh, decoder hardware. And yet the uh, chipset maker, uh, they announced that it will probably slip due to various factors, and I think the forecast now is targeting 2024, 2025, and the hardware is uh, implementation at a slower rate than the software. Definitely in adoption of uh, any major codec, you have to have a critical mass in the hardware decoder, but uh, that is not enough, I think. The, you have to have the software, you have to have a viable encoder and compression efficiency pr- from the software to begin with. And then the hardware will follow along. And that's typically what, what happens. So HEVC started in software and now we have a uh, good critical mass of decoders uh, in hardware.
1: Yeah, and, and we really need to separate the discussion on hardware between encoders and decoders. So if you have a decoding in hardware, I think for mobile, that's a must. For example, AV1, if you do it in software, it will drain your battery, even if your processor is capable of that. Uh, so you really need the hardware decoder on the uh, desktop and, uh, and laptop platforms. I think uh, AV1 software decoding is happening now. So on the, on the decode side, yes, in mobile, you need the hardware to get the mass adoption for sure. But then when you go back to the encode side, this is a much more difficult task, of course, uh, the encoding of video than the decoding. and then the question is if you're a platform like you know YouTube or Facebook that have you know millions of millions of videos um, user generated content it seems like hardware encoding for these type of platforms is is, um, is mandatory
2: for that particular use case, it is one of the solutions. Um, I think hardware encoder at one point is something you will converse to. Um, so, but at the beginning of uh, of development, the software is the way to go. There will be always software uh, hardware uh, coexistence. Again, the problem with hardware is the the cycle is way longer than the software. So, I think the the coexistence of both will, will be always there, uh, and I, I don't think uh, one will take over. Uh, The GPU, and this is a personal uh, uh, opinion, I think the GPU it's really hard to justify the use of G- GPU in uh, the video compression. The GPU is a great as a companion uh, acceleration, but for video compression, uh, I think GPU is uh, is not the optimal um, uh, acceleration. There is a lot of sequential processing in, inside an encoder, so GPU is a tedious task to have a video encoder on, on GPU. But typically on
1: GPUs, the video encoding is done in a hardware uh, encoder, like the, a core, which is de- which is dedicated to video encoding functionality, and it's not software running on the GPU itself. But then the question is, if you're using that hardware encoder and the GPU for encoding video, what is the rest of the GPU doing at the same time, right?
0: Or, or it can be the other way, Drawer. And I don't know, Romsey. have you heard of Livepeer? Yes, I did. I watched them at and Dmax right Yeah yeah super interesting because because they took the other angle they're like there's all these bitcoin mining machines out there using only the GPU and the hardware encoder is free <laughs> Exactly hardware encoder just sitting there completely dormant and it does not affect performance of you know of what they're doing you know for all their blockchain functions one bit and so they're like we can harness this so it's it's interesting yeah but your point um you, you know your point is completely valid, and you know also I you know I want to point something out that I'd love to get your perspective on. Here you are you know leading video technology and compression and and uh, encoding technology inside Elemental, and Elemental was built originally uh, on the GPU. However, if we think about it, the CPUs even then were like not fast enough. <laughs> So you needed you needed every bit of help that you could get. If you think from technical
2: perspective, GPUs are great in doing massively parallel operations. Uh, motion estimation, for instance, lends itself to GPUs. But why Kabak, I think there is no re- way around doing it in uh, CPU. The problem with uh, with GPU it's its cost the cost does not justify the uh, the amount of uh, processing and the uh, parallelism it offers and the very fact that cpus are uh, are getting way better and the availability of ec2 instances with the variety of cpu uh, performance that is very appealing so you can scale your encoding fleet from a T1 single CPU to a cluster of powerful M6 uh, EC2 instances. So that is something that CPU offers that GPU do not offer. I'm not saying it's impossible. But it's it's super flexible to to go from one encoder to fan out to a 15, 16 encoder and, and offers a, a suitable solution for this particular uh, case.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, now let's go into the actual uh, core of the video coding function itself. And you got to start at the rate control. And, you know, this is an excellent conversation, I think, for you, because I know that uh, in, in Elemental, you've even uh, created an interesting rate control. Why don't you tell us about what you and the team have developed and let's talk about rate control?
2: I think rate control is one of the critical functions of uh, video compression in a sense that. One, it's codec agnostic. No matter what codec you have, you have to have a great rate control. You have MPEG-2 or AV-2, you're still bound by the bandwidth, you're still bound by, by the bitrate or by quality. So rate control is a critical function. Um, and I think there is three classes of uh, rate control. So there is the CBR rate control where the output stream has a specific bitrate Although there is a school thought claiming that CBR is just a, a hard-constrained VBR.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we heard about that one.
2: Let's assume CBR is a separate class. And the second class is the um, the VBR. And the VBR is where bitrate can change up to a certain uh, constraint. The third one um, is statmax, and statmax solves a different uh, paradigm. So, StatMax is kind of the the mixture between uh, CBR and and VBR, and the QVBR, the uh, the the rate control mode uh, we uh, developed in uh, Elemental. It's a VBR uh, rate control with quality in mind. The idea of quality in mind is not novel itself. I think a lot of solution uh, out there, they are content adaptive. They do the similar function. But what we build is we want to reduce the uh, the bit waste. Uh, What we noticed is that a lot of content, we're wasting bits. Like if you take credits, you can probably encode credits ABC at 100K, something like that. And if you do it at CBR or VBR level, uh, you're probably wasting bits. So we had that in mind: is reduce uh, wasted bits. The other thing, when designing QVBR is we we set to define the quality level, and we defined like if you are a premium broadcast content provider, you you want your quality level to be nine or ten, and you set your bitrate or your, the bandwidth. And, QVBR will try to achieve that quality level. If you are in more constrained, uh, either regionally or uh, uh, operationally uh, region, you set your, your QVBR to six and you lower the bitrate. And what QVBR tries, one is maintain the uniformity of quality among all uh, scenes or frames and reduce waste if there is any. So the, the idea of QVBR was built around how to bake quality inside rate control beyond the operational underflow, overflow, uh, all of that. There are a lot of solutions out there, but what's typical about QVBR is the, this uh, paradigm of uh, quality baked in rate control.
1: So in QVBR, you define both the quality and a bitrate or only only the
2: quality? So you have two, two parameters, but the first parameter is quality level. And it could be from 0 to uh, 10 and auto and you have the the bandwidth the hard constraint this is your wire what your wire uh, is capable of if you are in constrained by that if you like fast storage and all of that probably you care more about quality rather than the bandwidth and what qvbr tries let's say you define the quality level what qvbr tries within that definition of quality level so what quality level 9 for for us means is this is a premium broadcast quality this is mezzanine you have no room for for artifacts you have no room for blurriness you have no room for pulsing you have no room for any visible artifact this is your premium content and you have the your bandwidth so what qvbr tries maintain the quality along all the sequences or, or, or the frames that you're trying to encode and without exceeding the, the that, uh, that bandwidth.
1: So the bitrate functions like a, a cap, as a cap to the encoding.
2: Indeed, yes. Because physically, that's the limit you have on the wire. Uh, if your bandwidth is 2 meg, you will have buffering, you have will have issues with uh, loading all of that or uh, playback errors or something like that. So the physical constraint is not going away. There are solutions out there that are unconstrained. And one thing you notice when uh, when you try those is sometimes when content gets, uh, gets complex the buffering and errors and all of that are, are happening. So QVBR is meant for production and, and meant to respect and fulfill that, uh, that physical uh, constraint.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and how does it compare with capped CRF, which is the rate control method in, in some of the open source codecs where the CRF defines the quality and then the cap defines the bitrate cap. So is this a similar concept or is there something fundamentally different between these two approaches?
2: There are things similar in trying to uh, to achieve the best quality without exceeding the, the bandwidth. But what's different is we want to make sure the quality is normalized. So inside, without re-encoding, we, without doing second pass, so inside rate control, we do passes, and we have a look ahead, and we try to equalize. And we see quality from both ends. So we see quality from what is the... Uh, maximum quantization we can uh, achieve or maximum compression we can achieve without hitting the quality and at the same time uh, allowing for changes so we do it in uh, multi-pass but inside rate control not so it's a it's a iterative process to kind of equalize the quality and find what is the best quality to encode current frames and, and uh, frames in the future uh, my understanding is cap CRF does not measure if i compress at certain point what happens to the bitrate so this is what i define as as a quality paradigm baked in rate control so rate control not just assigning QP and trying to understand the impact on visual quality in both ends in the reduction and in allowing more bits to uh, to certain uh, complex
0: scenes mm-hmm. so how does this fit into uh- you know, other optimization modes, I'm thinking like per scene, per shot. Uh, You already mentioned that, QVBR is either closely related to or really is um, directly competitive with other like content adaptive type solutions that are out there. But as you are developing tools, you know, for your platform, what are you doing? And, you know, how do you think about approaching? I know that per scene, you know, per title optimization is super hot. Again, it's almost become a checkbox feature on a lot of platforms. So let's start there
2: the per title adds another optimization complexity, is you're not just optimizing bitrate, you're optimizing resolution, you're optimizing a um, frame rate, you're optimizing various encoding settings. So it is not just QP versus bitrate. And the advantage of per title encoding is it's a multi-pass, uh, why QVBR works in live and VOD. So The advantage of uh, per title is you have the room, if I may say, to uh, do uh, multiple encodes and and gather information and, and pick the right ladder. I think. With great flexibility comes great responsibility. So you can fan out to thousands of combinations. If you think about bit rates, resolution frame rate, and encoder settings like the adaptive quantization, it would be exponential permutation. So, yes, it's flexible, but you need to apply some engineering in there.
1: Yeah. And we talked about reducing compute cost and not increasing it, right? We want to be green. Yeah, no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> For the solution we built, we cannot go to the full-fledged or uh, permutation. What we built, we built uh, a dual pass instead of a uh, three pass, which, which is what is common out there. So we built a dual pass and we try to leverage from the in- encodings we did in the uh, in the first pass and try to build that uh, holy grail of uh, convex uh, hull. Uh, I think what made us reduce is if your QVBR or your first pass um, analytics are doing the job in measuring the quality, in, me- in measuring the, the delta that could happen, and you add analysis phase prior to the second encode, I think you don't need to go the 500 uh, encode. again. Obviously, the grid search, the the brute force search, nothing can beat that. But I think for a reasonable solution, you have to do some engineering optimization. For the solution we built, we built a solution that does some engineering optimization.
0: You know, there's a really important point here. It's really instructive. And, you know, look, the work that Netflix and others is doing is amazing. And it's really helps the entire industry. But... You know, when you're able to build something that's just for your internal purposes only, you can make certain trade-offs that may make sense for someone else, but may completely not make sense. And, And Elemental, you're operating a platform, you have certain performance targets, operational cost targets, even just engineering complexities that... You know, sure. I'm just guessing that you and the team probably routinely are throwing out ideas not based on could it work or is it a good idea, but like is it feasible? <laughs> is that true?
2: Indeed, what we're trying to build is we're trying to build um, a general service. So uh, again, we are, we're we're uh, encoder vendor, so uh, and we're trying to fit a wide spectrum. Some others, uh, like Netflix, they have a specific use case. And when you have a very specific use case, you can um, optimize locally. We are an encoder vendor, so we try to, to fit as wider as the spectrum uh, is. So.
0: I think, Ramsey, you know, our listeners would really appreciate uh, if you can share with us how you and the team are tracking these uh, next generation codecs. Are you taking an active role on in any of the standards bodies? Do you just sort of watch from the sidelines? How do you think about it? We have AV1 that's in the market, and some people would say it's picking up steam, there's some momentum, you know, maybe it's more, maybe it's less than what people anticipated. That's outside of what we're talking about today. You know, we have VVC, we've got, you know, LCEVC. I think
2: it would be multi-codec world uh, going forward. Uh, I think there is no one take all, or one codec fits uh, all sizes. So I think it would be multi-codec world going forward. At least for the next five, 10 years, it's impossible that one specific codec will take over. The way we see this, we see it from the lens of uh, our customers. So AVC is still the universal codec, um, the de facto, the fallback, and numbers are showing that 80% of the compression, although it's trending down, people are still using uh, AVC. On the other side, you have HEVC. HEVC, I think, is, like somebody mentioned the other day, is the king of the living room. And it goes for uh, primary screen.
1: Yeah, 4K HDR.
2: Indeed. And that's the uh, prime use of uh, HEVC. And I don't think that is going away anytime soon. And you see the sets, TV sets, the number of sales and TV sets and that uh, UHD 4K 10-bit HDR capable, at least in North America, the numbers are, are indicating a trend up. So I think HEVC will be around for at least the 5-10 years. I know there is licensing, but this is factual. If you have a premium event, in 4K it will be definitely in HEVC. Now comes the question around the codec that uh, there is some uncertainty around, and AV1, I I believe there is an ecosystem that's building around uh, AV1. We have customers asking about AV1. So as an encoder uh, vendor, I think the way we see it, we we should have, and we must have an AV1 encoder.
0: You support AV1 today?
2: We do support uh, AV1 uh, today through a media convert. And I think AV1 will have a specific use and giving the maturity that's built around AV1, I think AV1 will cover some of the video compression uh, market. So you have it in browser, you have it in YouTube, in Facebook, uh, Facebook Live. There are questions around complexity, there are questions around DRM. There are a lot of questions around AV1. But I think for browser, I think AV1 will be around. Comes now the question of uh, VVC. Our customers and us, we always keep a track of what's happening in the industry and even the post-VVC, the ECM. So we're trying to figure out the trade-off. How much does it take in terms of compression efficiency versus the compute? I think VVC takes 10x compute for 30% gain, give or take. Compared to uh, HEVC? Yes, compared to HEVC. And I think that puts... VVC as an evolution, not a revolution. And I think there is a, a part where a codec matures. Like in AVC, we're still reducing the bandwidth on AVC. So I think HEVC will be the de facto uh, for the premium content. The next codec, like the AV2, Amazon is part of the AOM. We have teammates that are actively participating. I personally, uh, from time to time, uh, attend, especially the focus group on DML. So Amazon is actively part of the AOM. And I think reasonably, and this is through our customers, we, we need to track all the codecs out there. Uh, and if there is need, I think Elemental will be implementing these codecs. So I think so far, the the trio HEVC, AVC, AV1 are the one our customers are and the industry, not just our customers, are focused on, and there is production based on uh, on those. Um, VVC is still early. Uh, I think the ECM, the post-VVC, I think, and AV2, I think they're still too early. Uh, even the projection is like more than five years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned machine learning.
1: Yeah. Machine learning is really a, a big topic and, and has to be in some way. Uh, a part of of our future, and definitely the video compression future. And basically there are two approaches. One of them is you're using the existing codecs, like the H.264, HEVC, AV1, VVC, whatever, but you're using machine learning tools as part of the codec development, uh, optimizing parameters in your encoding, or actually using machine learning for part of your encoding, but the bitstream you're outputting is one of the existing uh, standards. And then there's a second approach, which is end-to-end uh, machine learning, like a new uh, model altogether that uh, takes the, the video and maybe extracts features from it. And on the other side, synthesizes the video from those features. So are you looking at any of these um, uh, two approaches now or maybe in, in uh, further into the future?
2: So we... Um... In the QVBR, for instance, and the rate control, we did investigate how can we use machine learning in video compression optimization. I think the machine learning predictive capability, uh, capacity to, uh, to use large data and have higher accuracy than the traditional model, I think that is appealing factor. But at the same time, machine learning comes at the cost. So what we t- we tried with my team is t- trying to find a sweet spot where we can use machine learning without incurring the cost and the complexity of machine learning. And I, th- I think there are ways to do that. And uh, one of the ways we, we use machine learning is what we call encoder sage. So what encoder sage does is based on the content, adapt the encoder setting like adaptive quantization temporal uh, adaptive quantization a number of b frames the uh, gop uh, sub gop size and all of that and these usually prior to machine learning we're tweaked by hand or following a recipe or something like that so what we did is we took the power of machine learning is the predictive capability the, uh, the capacity to adapt to different content and Combine that with the encoder settings. I think this is the way we can achieve bringing the machine learning to the the video compression space. The problem with end-to-end is compute. It's purely compute.
0: Yeah, we're trying to reduce compute.
2: Indeed, um, I attended the uh, CVPR uh, Click Challenge or Learned Compression, and. Traditional codec or mainstream codec augmented with machine learning are really hard to beat. So if you take the state of the art, the end-to-end encoder is still behind HEVC. And we know that HEVC is not state of the art of mainstream uh, encoder, so there is still a gap. So I think end-to-end in the five years outlook, I don't think it will catch up. And I'll give you a small, a small, small example. In mainstream codec, we use skip mode. Skip mode is, let's argue, it's one flag. If you take HEVC, it's 64 by 64 pixels compressed to one bit. That is not the case for end-to-end. So you have to figure out a way to to beat that. And we baked a lot of knowledge, computer vision, uh, video compression, all the beautiful minds we, we have in this industry in the 30 years. We distill that and put, put it in what we call the mainstream or classical encoder. And one of the beautiful tools is skip mode. For machine learning and deep learning to beat that, there they should be some engineering. There should be some leveraging. You cannot just throw motion vectors and expect the deep learning or the networks to learn the motion, all of that. Yes, there, we see problems in in, uh, in mainstream codecs, there are artifacts, there are things we can improve, but I think there are uh, powerful tools delivering the quality. So the answer to the question end to end, I think the paradigm has to shift. I believe more into a hybrid mode where uh, machine learning uh, augments the uh, traditional codec. Like the transform, it can be replaced by deep learning, Uh, transform or the in-loop filter or something like that. I think that is possible. Another way I think we should as industry should explore is the uh, downscale upscale in a sense that uh, if you encode a downscaled version you will reduce bits and then if you have um, a good upscaler so you reduce the bits in the compression and transmission. Actually, this is what our TVs are, are doing.
1: And and if you have some uh, additional uh, metadata that you can send in a side channel, it can improve the upscaling, which is exactly what LCEVC is doing.
2: Yeah, uh, I think th- that is a way we can leverage from machine learning. That is a way that... Uh, We can reduce bits, reduce complexity, and use the power of machine learning. But it has to be in conjunction with the uh, standardization.
0: So this is interesting because you said that you and the team are focused on machine learning, but doing it in the most efficient way possible, right? And so we, we already stated that VVC is 10x more complex than HEVC. And roughly, you know, depending on who tests it, you know, let's call it a 30% bit rate advantage, right? So let's just use that number. Well, you know, you don't have to be uh, a rocket scientist, as they say, to say, well, wait a second. If I have a really highly efficient HEVC implementation, which there are some great examples out there. You have one. There's others. If I can do some machine learning process on top of HEVC that's less than 10x the compute complexity, and I can get the 30%, I can get to the exact same end result as VVC with a wider deployed decoder base. Right. You know, because now, uh, it, you know, one beautiful thing about HEVC is it is absolutely at the tipping point of where then, um, almost every market around the world most users have an HEVC capable device that wasn't the case three, four years ago. Uh, Jor and I remember seven years ago being out there trying to <laughs> having these conversations, and people are like, "Yeah, well, let's see. There's three TVs that support it. That's mm-hmm. it." We
1: remember it very well. Yeah.
0: So this is really fascinating, and I I think you know we're just going to see even more codec teams, you know, pushing forward on developing solutions for existing codecs, and it could be you know, certainly there's still gonna be academics and there's still gonna be development done on a whole brand new standards and there should be. But I can see a scenario where, you know, teams like yours, Ramsey, you know, where you might be really working on these machine learning tools, you know, to bring the advantage. I'm a strong believer in there are tools that are common to any
2: codec. We mentioned uh, early on uh, rate control motion estimation is, is common from MPEG-2 to AV-1. I think the investment partly should should focus on improving what is common all, among our ca- uh, codec. Adaptive quantization was in TMM-5 and MPEG-2 and it's in AV-1 and AV-2, so I think logically an improvement even the tiniest possible in adaptive quantization uh, will benefit this suite of codecs and we see like i said earlier we still improving the abc quality and we are on target like this year around eight to 10% improvement in uh, the AVC. HEVC is still an active uh, area of uh, quality Im- improvement for us. And we think that even the AVC is not mature. There is some juice to, uh, to, to get from uh, uh, AVC. 19 year old standard, and there's still juice to squeeze out of it. <laughs> ABR and per title as, as a perfect example. So I think the coexistence of ideas, uh, innovative ideas around machine learning, and computer vision and video compression um, techniques driven, I think both will improve the compression e- efficiency. Relying just on one or waiting for the next codec, uh, personally, I think it won't be beneficial. Uh, I think right now we have codec like uh, HEVC. It's widely available decoder, and there is room for improvement for, for HEVC. There is room for improvement for, uh, for, even for AVC.
1: These are really remarkable uh, insights on, uh, on the codec development and I think it's a great place to uh, end this uh, conversation with this kind of summary and future outlook where we will have a multi-codec world and each and every one of these codecs will be improved by machine learning tools, which can be common across the codecs, which is uh, very nice. So, uh, Ramsey, we'd like to really thank you for uh, coming on the Video Insiders and uh, sharing your insights with us.
2: Gentlemen, it was a true pleasure.
0: It's great to have you.
1: Okay, and to all of our listeners out there, until next time, um, based on this episode, we can really wish you a very, very happy
0: encoding. Very, very happy encoding. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to thevideoinsiders at beamer.com. That's B-E-A-M-R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.